The internet has changed. So should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. Episode number 47, recorded Monday, June the 26th, 2017. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the beginning of another magnificent week. My name is John Campia. Welcome to the John Campia podcast. Now daily, Monday through Friday, here in the mornings. And well, if you're in the East Coast, it might almost be lunchtime, but like I'm recording this at eight o'clock in the morning. So it's morning where I'm doing it. Anyway, thank you guys for joining me. And as you guys might have heard last week, all I'm going to do now on the podcast is really just take your questions. And there's a couple of ways to get your questions to me, to hear your question or your topic or your opinion brought up on the John Campia podcast. A couple of ways. Number one, make sure you're following me on social media because every once in a while on Twitter and on my Facebook page, I'll ask for questions for the show and that's your place to jump in and leave questions. I take a bunch of questions from there. But also you can email questions to me at the John Campia podcast at gmail.com and that's where we take the questions from. Uh, Saw War for the Planet of the Apes the other night. The review is now up on my channel. Really good film. It's, I don't believe it's the best of the series. I'll say it's the second best of the series. I would say that the best is still the last one, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The second best one, I think, is this one, War for the Planet of the Apes. And then the third best is the original one. All three very good movies, especially Dawn. That movie's amazing. But one of the things I want to warn you, if you're looking at going to go see War for the Planet of the Apes, and you totally should, one of the things I mentioned in my review is that this is not a war movie. Despite the posters that show like an army of apes standing off against an army of humans, and despite the name War for the Planet of the Apes, this this is not a war movie. There is no war. There's a couple, there's one or two tiny little skirmishes that happen here and there, but this movie is not a war movie in any way, shape, or form. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a really good movie. It is a really good movie. I just want to make sure you guys go in with realistic expectations. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get down to business today. And the first question today comes to us from Tristan Durant, who writes, do you believe that just to throw the 1% to 3% of the nerd audience off about Zendaya's character in Homecoming, she really is Mary Jane? My theory is that her first name is Michelle, and her full name is Michelle Mary Jane Watson. She'll shed the tomboyish exterior a little by the end of the film, dye her hair red, or at least streak of red, and we'll hear her say to Peter the iconic line, Go get him, tiger. Yeah, the identity of Zendaya, by the way, I, I never know if I pronounce her name right. Zendaya, Zendaya, I'm going to go with Zendaya. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, please. So the thing is, we don't really know anything about Zendaya's character. And I'm not seeing Spider-Man until Wednesday. Actually, yeah, I'm seeing it in two days. Good grief. I'm get to see it really soon. I'm all excited all of a sudden. We don't really know. Now, here's an interesting thing. I was in the middle of a little bit of a Twitter dust up a while ago because a dude who I'll say was a friend of mine. I still consider him a friend, but he's not, he doesn't like me very much right now. Named Umberto Gonzalez, who works over at The Wrap. He broke a scoop. Uh, why this is going back four, five, six months ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was now that Zendaya's character is Mary Jane Watson. 
Now, this is before they came out and said that her name was Michelle and all that kind of stuff. And I called that report into question. I said, I don't know if I believe that. Now, it's important to note that I was not questioning whether Umberto was lying, also known as El Mayimbe online. I was not questioning whether he was lying. I believe if if Umberto was saying that he has learned through his sources that Zendaya's character is actually Mary Jane Watson, then I believe he was told that. I completely believe he was told that, but I don't necessarily believe the source. I don't necessarily believe the people who told him, and I don't know who those people are. So I called that into question. I don't know that I believe that. I I just don't know that. I, I didn't say it wasn't true, but I said, I don't buy that at this point. And Umberto got really upset that I said that. He got really mad that I said that. And dude hasn't talked to me since, which I think is really unfortunate because I like Umberto. I, I enjoy hanging out with him. We have different philosophies when it comes to movie journalism and things like that. And that's cool. That's fine. We have different philosophies. And I'm never afraid to talk about those differences in philosophy. But I think he's a really good guy. And I enjoy hanging out with him. But he's really mad at me right now. So whatever. Now, not too long ago. Then anyway, the, the stuff about her name in the in the movie is called Michelle. And then a couple of weeks ago, I think it was either MTV or something like that, put out a report that Zendaya's character's last name is Tombs or something like that. Anyway, it's the same last name as Vulture's character's last name. So then that got a lot of people talking that, oh, this confirms that she's not Mary Jane and this confirms that she's to thicken the plot. She's going to be related to Vulture. And one of the things that I said, because a couple of people tweeted me, and said, hey, John, you're totally vindicated in that thing you had with Umberto. Because see, it's now confirmed that she's not Mary Jane. And I said, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Just because there's a report out there, one source only, reporting that her last name is the same last name as the Vulture character, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's confirmed. It's not confirmed unless it comes from one of the filmmakers or the studio or the director or one of the actors playing it. Unless it comes, those are the only people that can confirm something. So it's not necessarily confirmed. And one of the things I said on Twitter was that, look, let's, there is still a possibility that Zendaya's character is Mary Jane. There's still that possibility. Now, if I had to put money on it, I would say, no, she's not, but don't count it out yet. We haven't seen the movie yet. There may be a reason why Sony and Disney have been keeping such a tight lid of secrecy around the Zendaya character. I mean, you could argue that the secrecy they've got in place for the Zendaya character could point to the fact that she might be Mary Jane. So while I don't think she is, I am not willing to bet the house on that. I think there's still a possibility that she is. I think there's still a scenario here that just like Tristan is writing in his email here, that at the end of the film, you find out that maybe Michelle is her middle name or or Mary Jane is her middle name, whatever. She's going to be revealed as Mary Jane. That's very possible. And I'm totally fine with it if that's what they do. I think that'd be totally fine. So let's not jump ahead of ourselves. So when you ask, do I think there's still a chance that she's actually Mary Jane? Absolutely. I think there's absolutely a chance she's Mary Jane. I wouldn't put any money on it, but I think there's absolutely a chance. I am seeing the movie in two days. And so after that, I might have a little bit of a better picture. All right, so let's move on. The next question comes to us from Sam Macias, who writes, what are your thoughts of a Watchmen series on HBO? Yeah, for those of you who haven't heard the news, former Lost director and uh, Damon Lindelof, or Lost writer, I should say, Damon Lindelof, 
who also, I believe, like wrote Prometheus, and he was just working on that other HBO show, The Leftovers. Anyway, reports have been coming out that HBO has, if I'm not mistaken, approached Damon Lindelof to help them develop a TV series, an HBO series on The Watchmen, based, of course, on the great graphic novel that was turned into a movie a few years ago by Warner Brothers. Now, it's not been greenlit or anything, but he is hopping on it. Now, this is like the second or third time that HBO has taken a swing at trying to get a watch television series put together. So nothing is completely official to the best of my knowledge right now, but they are investigating that. And Damon Lindelof is a really interesting name to have attached. I'm not usually for the idea of taking properties like that and putting them on either Netflix or HBO, but I got to say, I think Watchmen would make a pretty damn interesting television series. I mean, obviously it has to be based on stuff that happens outside of the comic book, probably stuff that happens before the events of the comic book, probably watching the Watchmen in their heyday when they were doing their thing, when they were like the Justice League of their era and of their universe. That could be really interesting. That could be really cool. Now I'm going to admit, When you look at the movie, The Watchmen, the one that Warner Brothers put out a few years ago, it's one of those films that people either seem to really love or hate. I neither loved nor hated it, but I I didn't particularly like it all that much. Now, I love the graphic novel, but I didn't love Watchmen. I watched it once, wasn't all that impressed with it. I didn't hate it. And then I gave it another shot. I watched it again. And again, I didn't really like it because, you know, like a friend of mine, Dennis Zen, he absolutely loves that movie. For the longest time in his apartment, in Dennis's apartment, he didn't have any movie posters up except one. And that was the Watchmen poster. So because he liked it so much, I gave it another chance. And again, I I was just one of those that I didn't like it all that much. I think John Schnepp absolutely loves the movie. But there's no denying that I think the source material is there to create a pretty interesting world, especially on HBO. Because if you're not, you can't do a show like Watchmen on NBC or CBS. There's just too much graphic content that would have to be in there. So a place like HBO is a great home for it. So if they do it, I'm all for it. And having a name like Damon Lindelof attached, I think is really cool. Let's see what happens, but I'm definitely got, it's got my curiosity peaked. All right, so let's go on to the next question. This one comes from Tony Willis, who writes, simple, just a three-word question. Here it is. Film versus digital. Yeah, that's a debate that's been going on a little bit lately. And and really, to be honest, the debate was pretty much dead, but a director of the stature of Quentin Tarantino keeps bringing that debate to the forefront. You know, guys like Quentin Tarantino, who just insist everything has to be shot on film. Everything's got to be done on film and blah, 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 blah. You know what? It's nonsense. It's complete, utter nonsense. No, you don't. You do not have to shoot on film. Because here's the thing. 99% of the audience out there, you show them a movie that's shot on film, and you show them a movie that's shot on the kind of high technology-based digital cameras that they have now, and 99% of the audience could not tell you the difference. Could not tell you if one was film and one was digital. They just couldn't tell you. Digital cameras make the filmmaking process infinitely easier. And even guys like Quentin Tarantino know that. But Quentin and a couple of other guys are really attached to the history of Hollywood and and for all very good reasons. And they really want to keep that medium of film alive. And I've got no, there's no problem with that. That's great. And clearly Quentin Tarantino is a sick, talented director and he makes amazing films and his choice of medium is film. And that's great. I got no problem with that. But this notion that film is better than digital, I think is nonsense. I think it's a complete, I think it's complete nonsense. Um, and going back to Dennis, 
you know, Dennis and I, Dennis who film school graduated, director himself, like he's just always gets completely befuddled when people bring this up because no, digital just makes everything better. It just does. As far as your work process goes, there's a lot more flexibility. There's so much more you can do with a digital camera than you can with a film camera. And again, no disrespect to anybody who really likes the medium of film. That's great. But if you're asking me my opinion, uh, my opinion is digital every single day. There's great classic stuff on the film stock. That's wonderful. There's a great history with Hollywood using film. That's great too. But you know what? Eventually we moved on from using a rotary phone. And now we have Galaxy S's and iPhones in our pockets. The, the technology improves. We move on and we move forward. And there's nothing wrong with holding on to a bit of the past to remember the glory of the past. But to me, film is the past. All right. This next question comes to us from Gage Lee Sweeney, who asks a question that I've been getting a lot of people asking me. Do you have a favorite pick as to who could play Carnage in the Venom solo movie? If not, who's your favorite pick to be the next Spider-Man villain? It's an interesting question. Now, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure you do by now, it was recently announced by Tom Rothman, who's like the chairman of Sony, that the villain of the upcoming Venom movie is going to be Carnage. And that's really what everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see Carnage versus Venom. I mean, that's people want to see that. It's a very smart move on their part. A lot of people ask me, who's to play Carnage? Well, it's an interesting question because here's the thing. I don't think most people will care. Because I don't think a lot of people care all that much about Cletus Cassidy. I think that most people are more concerned about Carnage, who is going to be completely CGI. And since Carnage is going to be completely CGI, at that point, it almost doesn't really matter who's playing the human aspect of it. Because we're not going to see that much of, of that person. Now, the difference between an okay popcorn flick and a really good flick is that a movie does take time to invest us in the character. Which means... They should go out and get a good actor to play Cletus. That's an absolute. I completely agree with that. So the question isn't who do I want to play Carnage? The real question is who would I like to see play Cletus Cassidy? And two names come to mind. Look, I'm fine with any one of a thousand good actors. There are many, many good actors. Just make sure it's a talented actor and I'm completely on board. The two names that happen to come to mind for me that I could really see pulling something special off. One is Steve Buscemi from Boardwalk. I think he would do great. And the other one is follow me here. Another one I think is Jim Carrey. Now forget about the Riddler from that Batman film he did. Forget about that. I think Jim Carrey could play this. Jim Carrey can do dramatic and do drama. And I would like a lot of dramatic and drama in this character. Not like what they made Jamie Foxx do in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, that was terrible. But you, Jim Carrey is a guy who can bring that strong, psychotic, dramatic tone to it. And I think he would be a really great pick. Like I said, Steve Buscemi, Jim Carrey, any one of a thousand good actors. But if I had to pick a couple off the top of my head, those are the ones I go with. All right. The next question comes to us from Dylan Delgado, who writes, Stardust was an awesome movie. What other movies do you recommend that not many people have seen or talk about? Yeah, man, Stardust. I can't talk enough about Stardust. I can't believe it's 10 years old this year. This year is its 10th anniversary. And I love that movie. And it's got some great names. That Ian McKellen is in it. Ben Barnes is in it. Charlie Cox is the lead. Daredevil himself. Charlie Cox is in it. Sienna Miller is in it. Superman himself. Henry Cavill is in it. Claire Danes is in it. Robert De Niro's in it. Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. It's Ricky Gervais is in it. It's an amazing movie. To me, I've always called called it the new generation's princess bride although not 
very few people have seen it. If you have not seen Stardust, dear heavens, please watch Stardust. It is so good. So I thank you very much for bringing that up. Now, the question is, what's another movie that I think a lot of people haven't seen that I wish they would give a shot to? This is one I bring up all the time. You've probably heard me talk about this as well. This movie actually comes up a lot too when people say, what old movie, older movie, I should say, that never got a sequel, do you think deserves to get a sequel? And the one I often go to is 1999's The Mystery Men, where you got Ben Stiller, William H. Macy, Janine Garofalo, Hank Azaria, Greg Kinnear, Jeffrey Rush, Eddie Izzard, on and on. It is, it was a movie, it's a superhero movie. It's it's kind of a borderline superhero movie slash superhero spoof movie in many ways. It's a movie that I've always said was way ahead of its time. Uh, Pee Wee Herman's in the movie too, by the way. It is absolutely hysterical. I mean, Jeffrey Rush plays the villain whose name is Casanova Frankenstein. Uh, Greg Kinnear plays this, the world's most famous superhero, Captain Amazing. You got William H. Macy who plays the shoveler. Hank Azaria is the blue Raja who, he has no superpowers. He just throws silverware at people. Uh, William H. Macy has no superpowers. He just swings shovels at people. Janine Garofalo is the bowler who has a bowling ball infused with the skull of her dead father. <laughs> I mean, Ben Stiller plays Mr. Furious. It's just amazing. You got to see this movie. And like I said, it was way ahead of its time because it was before the big explosion of the comic book genre. There were some comic book movies out there, sure, but it was before the explosion of the genre. And I think if a movie like Mystery Men had come out, say, in 2009, I think a lot more people would have seen it and appreciated it. But at any rate, if you have not seen Mystery Men, please I don't know if it's on Netflix. If it's not on Netflix, go to Google Play or go to your iTunes video store or go to Amazon Prime or whatever and look up The Watchmen. Get a couple of friends together, make some popcorn, get some drinks, sit down and watch this movie. I really believe you are going to enjoy it a lot. So yeah, to me, a couple of the most underappreciated films ever is Mystery Men and of course, Stardust. All right. And the next question comes to us from John Marie who writes... What is your favorite Christopher Nolan movie that isn't in the Dark Knight trilogy? It's funny that you put in that little caveat there that isn't in the Dark Knight trilogy because actually my favorite Christopher Nolan movie isn't one of the Dark Knight movies. And obviously the second film, The Dark Knight, is just crazy good. One of the greatest comic book movies ever made. But it might surprise you because I think some people will say, other than The Dark Knight, you'll get some people that might say Inception. You might get some people who will say The Prestige. Uh, he's done a lot of great films. But my favorite film of his is one of his lesser well-known things. But it, And I'm not just saying, oh, it's it's his artistic one, therefore that's my favorite. No, no, no. I, this legitimately is my favorite film of his. And it's not even Memento. And I love Memento. A lot of people will say Memento is his best film. But to me is a film he did with Robin Williams, Al Pacino, and Hilary Swank. And it's called Insomnia. And I know a lot of you guys have not seen Insomnia. I, and it didn't even get all that super well received by critics, I don't think. But at any rate, I watched that movie and I was 
completely enthralled with it. Like from the very moment that movie began to the very end. I love the characters. I love the story, the tension and the suspense. It's a much smaller scale movie than a lot of the movies that Christopher Nolan is known for doing. It is one of Robin Williams's, I believe, best performances. Hilary Swank's terrific in it. Al Pacino's Al Pacino. So there you go. But yeah, that would probably be it. Then would probably come The Dark Knight. Then maybe Memento. And then all of them are good. My least favorite film of Christopher Nolan is Interstellar. And I really like Interstellar. So that tells you something about how good Christopher Nolan is. My least favorite film of his is still a movie I think is pretty damn good in Interstellar. But the dude just cranks out quality. I cannot wait for Dunkirk. I know a lot of you guys are on the same boat as me. Dunkirk cannot get here fast enough. I'm dying to see what he does with that movie. And I know a lot of people were kind of turned off when they heard Dunkirk wouldn't be rated R. But I really wish people would get off this thing that if a movie's going to be good, it's got to be rated R. No, no, I think some movies definitely... Definitely lend themselves to R rating. Absolutely. But I don't think a movie has to be rated R. And if Christopher Nolan's given us a PG-13 movie that's set in the war, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And let's see it. Maybe the movie will be bad. Who knows? Everybody has a bad day at the office. But let's see how this one turns out. All right. And our next question comes to us from Efren Guzman, who writes, Best rom-com you have ever seen. I think rom-coms get a bad rap. You know what? There's few things that are just as fun as sitting back and watching a good rom-com. Now, granted, there's not, there's not a ton of great rom-coms, but when you've got a good rom-com, it's a really fun film because just about everybody can appreciate a good rom-com. Now, you're asking what's the best rom-com I've ever seen. This will kind of depend on how you define rom-com because the movie I'm going to say... I've had some debates with some people who told me that's not a rom-com. And I say, absolutely, it's a rom-com. But to me, the best rom-com I've ever seen is also the movie that I believe is the best comedy ever made. And that is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. The 40-Year-Old Virgin to me is like perfection when it comes to that genre at any rate. It is a perfect comedy slash romantic comedy. And I do consider it a romantic comedy. You know, a lot of people say, ah, no, it's a little too vulgar to be considered a romantic comedy. It's a little too risque to be considered a romantic comedy. They look vulgar and risque has nothing to do with it. This is a romantic comedy. It's based around that. And I think it completely qualifies. So to me, the best romantic comedy I've ever seen is also, I think, the best comedy I've ever seen, or at the very least tied for the best comedy with Noises Off, is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Now, there's a few other really great ones, but honestly, my second favorite one is one that most people I don't think have ever even seen, and it's a Julia Roberts film called My Best Friend's Wedding. It came out in like 1997, so it's like... Oh my gosh, it's like almost, it's almost 20 years old now. Oh my God. Yeah, My Best Friend's Wedding. It's marvelous. I absolutely love that film. Dermot Mulroney is in it. He's fantastic. And Cameron Diaz is in it. A lot of people forget about her. It's a fabulous film. Really funny. Pulls on the heartstrings. Give My Best Friend's Wedding a shot. And then you got other classics like You've Got Mail, Moonstruck. Oh, that one with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock and Craig T. Nelson, The Proposal. I freaking love that movie. I think The Proposal is balls. I think that movie is absolutely awesome. You should check that one out too. So yeah, there's a lot of really good rom-coms out there, but my all-time favorite is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. All right, let's move on. The next question comes to us from Jason Bogasks, who writes, 
Do you think Transformers 5 had a good chance at hitting $1 billion globally given the reception and opening weekend box office? Or where do you think it will land? Yeah, Transformers The Last Night or Transformers 5 just had its lowest opening weekend of the entire franchise, domestically at any rate. It opened with $45 million. And you know people at Paramount are getting ready to jump out of their office windows on that. 45 million. It's the lowest of the franchise so far. It did very well overseas. It had like 190 something. So it was already sitting at like 200 and something million worldwide. No, you can't hit a billion dollars worldwide on a $45 million opening domestic weekend. Can't do it. I think it'll probably settle in around 600 million, which will be a huge nosedive. Now, still, that's a huge, that's a hit. 600 million worldwide. Nothing to complain about there, except the last movie made over a billion. This is not the direction they wanted to see this movie going in. I think the audience has now started to clue in. These movies are terrible. A lot of people were still going and giving this franchise a chance, but as each film came and each film disappointed, I think now we're seeing the results of that. The public is not willing, at least at the same level as they were before, the public is not willing to put down their money to go see this crap. And Transformers 5, The Last Night, is utter garbage. It's complete crap. It's honestly between it and Fifty Shades Darker as to the worst film of the year. I might even say it's worse than Fifty Shades Darker because at least Fifty Shades Darker gave you some unintended giggles. There's nothing redeeming other than great visual effects, mind-blowing visual effects. Other than that... Transformers The Last Night has absolutely nothing going for it. So do I think Transformers The Last Night is going to hit a billion? No, I don't I don't even think it'll come close. I think it'll probably, and I could be wrong about this, sure, but I'm just guessing. I think it's probably going to max out around 600 million, maybe less, which will be a significant nosedive from the previous one. And hopefully this will absolutely be the final Transformers movie that Michael Bay does. I really like Michael Bay's first one, but everyone since then has been really poor. And I know they've got plans for a Bumblebee movie, but at this point, honestly, Hasbro, Paramount, scrap this franchise and reboot. Scrap this franchise and reboot. Because now you're building on very shaky ground. You're trying to build now. You're trying to continue to build this franchise on a bunch of crap that cannot stand up. So find some solid ground restart, dig a new foundation, reboot this franchise because the Transformers can be a perpetual billion dollar franchise every time it comes out if you just don't make it crap. And the only way to do that now is to, you know, right the ship and get this thing going again. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. The next question comes to us from Jamie Ross Lyons, who writes, in honor of the great Adam West, who is the greatest Batman of all time? I personally believe Michael Keaton is the best Dark Knight. Hey, there's no wrong answer here. There's, there's no wrong answer. Even if you like Val Kilmer best as Batman, that's great. If you like George Clooney, that's great. If you like Christian Bale, that's great. No wrong answer. I'm not going to argue with anybody about this. For me, I believe the best presentation of what and who Batman is at his core has been Ben Affleck. I just, I've said this before. I will say it again. I think Ben Affleck is the best manifestation of who and what Batman is on the big screen we've ever had. He's a terrific balance of Bruce Wayne and Batman. I think he, he looks the part, he acts the part. This dude understands Batman better than most people does. And I believe it really shows. Now I know Batman versus Superman didn't get the greatest reception from fans or critics and that's fine. But I find that a lot of my friends that I talk to, even my friends who really didn't like Batman versus Superman, even they go out going, yeah, but Ben Affleck as Batman was pretty good. Like when you can stand out in a movie that people dislike and the people I know who dislike Batman versus Superman, 
even they say, oh yeah, but but uh, Affleck as Batman was pretty good. That says a lot. That says a lot. I mean, again, a lot of people are going to say Christian Bale because Christian Bale came from the best Batman movies. And I'm not going to argue that The Dark Knight isn't a better movie than Batman vs. Superman. Obviously, The Dark Knight is a better movie than Batman vs. Superman. But that's a different question. The question is, is Christian Bale a better Batman than Ben Affleck is? And I don't think so. But I know a lot of people do, and that's totally cool. I respect that opinion greatly. A lot of people say the great Michael Keaton, and nothing wrong with that at all either. But if you're asking me, I think Ben Affleck is the best we've had so far. Uh, Let's see what he does with Justice League. All right, the next question comes to us from Shane N. Lee, who writes... Will you do some reviews with the guys and girls of Collider or appear as a guest on Collider shows like Heroes? Thanks and keep up the great work, Mr. Campion. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot for the question, Shane. As most of you guys know, I am no longer employed by by Collider. I gave them my two weeks notice and I, I decided it was time to go. I've been there for seven years. I uh, I tried to leave once, but then AMC, after I left, said they were going to shut the whole thing down. And in order to save everybody's jobs and to save the whole operation, I came back and took it from AMC over to Collider. And then I left again about a year and a half ago because, you know, it was time for me to try some other things. I wanted to produce. I got to produce a bunch of things. I'm still producing things today that you guys just don't know about, which is fine and good. And then they approached me again at Comic-Con last year and asked if I would consider coming back. And I said, okay, sure. So I came back and now it's, you know, I just really want to do my own thing. There are a few other things. I had some issues there, some things I didn't agree with. And, but I don't get me wrong. I love, I put this all in my blog post. I love the people there. I love my boss who was there. I love, you know, I, I created Collider video. I'm always going to have a connection to it. And I love it. So to answer your question, is there a possibility that I will continue to go back and do some things? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to see me pop up now and again on Collider as a guest, you know, either whether it's on Heroes or Jetta Council or Movie Talk or on a commentary or on a review or something like that. Sure. I, I wouldn't hold my breath in the immediate future, like probably not in the next few weeks or even the next month or two, but at some point, yeah, I'll probably, you'll probably see me go back. I still, you know, love the people over there and I'll look forward to do things with them. And that will be great because, you know, it's my baby. That's my thing that I built and I want to see it continue to succeed and do well. And if they think having me on as a guest will help them do that from time to time, then I will absolutely be there 100%. All right. The next question comes for us from Diokaran Beldeo. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, man. Do you think Baby Driver is the better film over Logan? Categorically, no. Baby Driver is fantastic. I absolutely, if you saw my review, my review is up on my YouTube channel. I love that movie. I had such giddy fun at Baby Driver. It's insane. I love this movie. So just go, I won't review it all again here. Just go watch my review on YouTube. But I love that film. But is it better than Logan? No. Logan is still to me, hands down, without much question or debate, Logan is the is the superior movie of the year. It is the best movie of the year so far. Still a lot of movies to come out. But to me, Logan is still absolutely the best film of the year. All right. Now we move on to the final question of the day, which comes to us from Josh Howard, who writes, have paranormal horror films killed the slasher film genre? I'm going to say no. Now, I know why you're asking because there seems to have been, although it's slowing down now, a proliferation of paranormal activity type movies and horror films as opposed to the older fashioned slasher films. But I'm also going to challenge you to look at the timelines. I think if you look at the timelines, you're going to see that the rise of paranormal like horror films 
didn't cause the decline of the slasher film. If you look, the decline of the slasher film started happening well before the rise of the paranormal horror films. And everything in Hollywood happens in cycles. Westerns come and go. Buddy cop movies come and go. They trend and then they go away. Comic book movies, which have lasted a long time, and they're showing no signs of slowing down right now, but everything travels in a cycle. At some point, the cycle will change and comic book movies will disappear for a bit. It's going to happen at some point. I just don't see it happening within the next five years, but it's going to happen at some point. I think at some point too, indie filmmakers are going to get back and want to try their hands at None, I'm not, not zombie ones because so every indie filmmaker wants to do a zombie movie because they're easy to do. So there you go. But we'll go back to trying the classic slasher film. Now, to me, this is another little gem of a movie that nobody saw, but it's a play on the whole slasher genre. So it's a great observation and commentary on the slasher genre. And it is outright hilarious at the same time. It's a little movie called Behind the Mask. The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Once again, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It is a diamond in the rough. This is such an incredible little super low budget movie that, like I said, is just an examination of the whole genre of slasher flicks and horror flicks. It's so brilliantly done. I cannot recommend it enough. So get on out and check that one out. Once again, Behind the Mask. The Rise of Leslie Vernon. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Listen, don't forget, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash John Campia. Just head on over there, click subscribe and keep up to date on all the videos I'm putting up every single day. Make sure you subscribe to my audio podcast feed. A lot of you are listening to this on podcast. Just go to your favorite podcasting app and search for the John Campia podcast and subscribe. That would be wonderful if you would do that. And uh, that'll do it for me, guys. Hey, Keep sending in questions. We're going to be doing this show every single day. I will be back again a little bit later today with the first episode of John Campia's The Movie Vlog, and then again tomorrow morning with the newest episode of the John Campia Podcast. So that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me, and until next time, bye-bye.